The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. All right, what's up, Pels fans? Welcome to... Well, what was supposed to be our very first live episode of The Bird Calls, we had a couple of technical difficulties, but I am very confident that by next week, we will be able to take callers live on the air. So stay tuned for that. We got very close today, and then I panicked, and now we're back on Uber Conference. I'm your host, Preston Ellis, contributor to thebirdrights.com. Today, we have an original Bird Calls co-founders with a special guest. Of course, we are talking the schedule, Jaleel okay for as we're going to talk about him just to keep him apart from a mecca oka for and uh ed matthews has correctly hi this is scott trout ceo of the domestic litigation firm cordell and cordell there are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree the orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change if you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. I, I was pronouncing his name Okafer, I guess, in the last podcast, so we're going to amend that on this one. Then we're going to talk a little bit of Mario Chalmers, who was in the news as a likely Pelicans target at this point uh, with two other teams. So we'll talk about him. First up, we have our editor-in-chief to thebirdrights.com, Mr. Ali Cosell. Ali We're about six weeks away from training camp. I know you've been hard at work at your home. Are you pumped for the season to return? Are you soaking in the downtime right now? I'm definitely ready for the season return because that means I don't have to mess around with house construction or deconstruction, destruction, you name it. Take your pick. I'm done with this remodel. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next up, we have the Prince of the Portico, the birthday boy himself, Kevin Berrios. Kevin, how is 21 treating you, man? Uh, It was great. Uh, you know, it was great 19 years ago. Uh, I still kind of live like I'm 21. So, um, I think it's, you know, that's a pretty good uh, way to put it, I guess. All right. And finally, we have our special guest. The first time we've had him in at least six months, contributor to the birdrights.com host to the precariat podcast, Mr. Jamile Dunn. Jamile, it's been a while, man. How you doing? Hey guys. Yeah, it has been a while. I'm doing pretty well, you know, but we're getting close to the NBA seat. Not really, but kind of close if you're really a fiend or whatever, but everything's kind of wound down. So I'm just, uh, you know, trying to get my fix anyway. How? So I guess being here is a way a part of that. Man, you sound wound down right now. You sound perfectly calm and relaxed, which is the way you should be on a Sunday night, man. It's good to have you back. Exactly. 
<laughs> of course, uh, welcome back to Jamile. And of course, you can follow all of our guys at Ali Cosell, at Kevin B for Bounce, and at Jamdun06. Is that right, Jamile? It's been a while. Yeah, yeah, that's it. All right, you guys, let's get to it. As you heard, next week, we will have our very first live episode. It's still going to be available on iTunes, Stitcher, everywhere you get your podcast from. But because we will be live, that means we can take callers. If you want to get involved, the call in line will be 929-477-4091. But of course, we're not doing that today, and it's my fault. Uh, this is going to be the first of many of these, so don't worry if you miss your chance. We're going to be taking this out for a test drive right now. Uh, we're going to get the word out much further in advance uh, in the future, specifically on game days in the regular season. It'll be fun for people to be able to call in and express their 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 elatement or their frustration. All right, let's get to the schedule. Let's get to the reason you guys are listening right now. 13 back-to-backs, 13 nationally televised games, seven of those on NBA TV in addition to those 13, so 20 in total. Boogie's homecoming on April 9th, the final game of the regular season. What stood out most to you, Ollie? It's just a simple fact that we're starting off with another hard schedule. Um, Once we get past that home opener in Houston, I know we've got a nice stretch at home where we can build up a few wins, but then it's, you know, leaving October going into November it's it's just brutal so as we all know we the Pelicans never seem to start a season with the all core guys healthy and uh you're just praying that it happens this time because right out of the gates you don't want to see the team struggling or floating around 500 like we're accustomed to I just feel like we, we've got to change it up a little bit we've got to make sure that we've got some breathing room and not need that last month month and a half of where you play really good ball and just squeak into the playoffs so I'm, I'm looking at the start of the schedule again and just praying, praying that the guys will be all healthy and ready to go. Health is the major thing that you just mentioned that I was thinking of, Kevin. The last two seasons, the Pelicans haven't had a whole lot of that heading into the regular season. Uh, there was some time missed last year to Rajon Rondo, uh, Anthony Davis, even Boogie had to shoulder the load at some points in the early part of the season. The year before, of course, Drew Holiday missed 12 games. Kevin, just how important is it that the Pelicans remain healthy for that opening stretch run? Oh, yeah, it's very important. I mean, we haven't had that in so long. I was just sort of writing a little bit about that um, in a little thing I'm writing in my next article about Drew Holiday, you know, the early missed games that caused the, you know, you know, the team to go into upheaval. But I would sort of disagree a little bit with Ali. I think the opening of the schedule is not as bad as he makes it seem. You know, you have that tough Rockets game, obviously, and then you have that homestand where the Jazz are really the only team that's uh, expected to be very good. And then I think Denver is overrated, though you're playing in Denver, so that makes it a little bit more difficult than obviously playing in Golden State. is always tough. Um, Portland, we've seen what we can do to Portland. Um, The Spurs are a question mark. Thunder are a tough team. Then you got Bulls, Suns. You know, so there's there's a lot of a chance. There's a big chance for the Pelicans, I think, to have a pretty solid record to open up the season. Um, but then again, you're going to get into some tougher spots later on, which I guess we'll discuss later on as well. Yeah, the first four games of the regular season at Houston, as Kevin and Ali both mentioned, then home for Sacramento, home for the Los Angeles Clippers, and home for the Brooklyn Nets before they host the Utah Jazz. So very good possibility the Pelicans at least initially start 3-1 and to start the season. Jamile, let's start with you, man. Five of the first six games at home, as they mentioned, 10 of the first 18 against playoff teams from a year ago. The Pelicans are likely going to have two new starters in the lineup in Julius Randle and Alfred Payton. How much stock do you put into the Pelicans getting into a fast start? Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, 
I never quite worry about the start as much because every team, other than the elite teams, which who knows, maybe the Pelicans can join those ranks this year, but typically other than the elite teams, everybody gets off to a 500-ish start, right? And so I don't necessarily worry about that as much. I just look for stretches in the schedule where I think they can get on a run, right? So I kind of look at December and January where about half the teams they play um, are not expected, at least today, aren't expected to be playoff teams, or at least if they are, they're fringe playoff teams. So that's kind of an area where they can make a run in the meat of the schedule. Um, in terms of getting off to a fast start, I don't know. With a new point guard and trying to figure out whether they should start Randall or Miritich, um, I could see them – I don't think they'll get out to a terrible start unless there's an injury, but uh, I could see them starting in their same sort of slightly above 500 uh, bracket that they're in a lot. All right, Ali, let's talk about some nationally televised games because I know that's an important point of contention for fans. Four out of the 13 nationally televised games on both ESPN and TNT are at home. Nine are on the road. Only seven of 20 games, including NBA TV, are at home. 13 of those on the road. Ali, do you feel any ill intent about the way that the schedule makers are are putting the Pelicans on the road in these big uh, climate events, or does it not really matter to you? I don't think that matters at all um, in terms of the nationally televised games, more of them coming on the road. Um, I mean, what? I guess you can't expect the team, obviously, to win or have a chance to win as many of the games. But other than that, I, I don't think any of that really matters. It all matters on how they're playing, how, you know, what what the record is coming in these games. Like I said, I feel like the team may get off to a four and six start. So you start worrying about them kind of, you know, getting off to that slower start. And then, you know, the national people start contemplating on removing them from certain games or, you know, that's what you want to kind of avoid because I think, what is it? In the first three months, we only have like four or five or excuse me, the first three months. Yeah. I think there's five televised national games. And then most of them seem to come in January and February. So, I mean, really Preston, it doesn't matter. I don't think this is even worth talking about, but yeah. So we're going to play on national TV. We're going to have probably a lot of squeakers. And likely we probably won't win the majority of the games. But again, I mean, what? So that sets a precedent in some people, in a lot of fans' minds that, hey, maybe we're not a good team. I don't think that matters one bit one way or the other. So I really don't care about that. All right. No taken. Uh, We'll move right along. I'm going to bring back why this is important. It might be for a reason that you don't necessarily think in terms of wins and losses, but one that might have an effect on something else that I'll get to a little bit later so that we we don't jump ahead. Kevin, let's jump around the schedule a little bit. Obviously, the Pelicans have a have a good uh, amount of home games to finish the season. 11 out of 16. It is a pretty difficult gauntlet in Utah, Toronto, Milwaukee, Portland before the Pelicans get Phoenix. Then they have Houston, Atlanta, Sacramento, Los Angeles, Charlotte, Golden State. Although they do have some gimmies on the road or what looks like at this point in time like they might be gimmies in Atlanta, Dallas, Orlando, Phoenix, and Sacramento. This season, the Pelicans uh, used a late surge, a 20-7 and run to get into the playoffs. Do you think something like that might be on the table in this season? I don't, I don't think they'll need that surge this season. I think this team is better than uh, people think they are. I think you're looking at a five seed in the West. And I think, um, you know, you look even like the last game of the season is against the Warriors, who will probably not be playing for anything and will be resting. And, you know, and then there's... That, you know, but you are set up for a decent postseason run um, because of those teams and the things you just described. But I just think this team's better than than it was last year, and I think it's better than people think it's going to be. And I I think 
you know, we don't have that rely on that late season run because we'll be good throughout the year. I think we'll be above 500, you know, a decent percentage above 500 the entire season. Um, I think you got a steady team, a team with guys that, um, you know, at least the key contributors of Anthony Davis, Drew Holiday, uh, Julius Randle, um, and Nikola Miritich are versatile enough defensively. And if they have that uh, defense locked in, um, then they can sustain some of the fluctuation and shooting that you get from guys like um, Miller and Moore and even Holiday, you know. Um, so I, I just think it's a team that's better set up, a team that's better than it was last year. So I don't think it's, we're going to need to rely on great performances to close out the season because we're going to get solid play throughout. All right, Jamal, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I just sent you a picture in your DM of the Pelican schedule in case you need it for reference. I'm going around the schedule. Ali, of course, uh, mentioned in the first month or so, the Pelicans having a difficult slate of games and Kevin rebuffed some of that. But I want to talk to you about the slate of games that follow that initial slate. The Pelicans in mid to late November into December uh, have a pretty good Eastern Conference run. A lot of New York, Washington, Miami, Charlotte before the Clippers, the Mavericks, the Grizzlies, Detroit, uh, Miami, Milwaukee, the Lakers, Sacramento, Dallas. What are some parts of the schedule that you've seen uh, with your trained eye that that might be an advantage for the Pelicans? I'm guessing that he's using this time uh, to look at the photo for reference. Jamal, you with us, man? Oh, sorry, I had you guys on mute. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Compelling. So, yeah, I was. I was. Best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was. I was uh, giving hard hitting hitting analysis that whole time. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that that yeah that stretch in November there between uh, basically. After Oklahoma City, so Chicago on the 7th of November, basically all the way through the end of November, they're playing almost all Eastern teams with like Denver and Minnesota sprinkled in there. Um, although there is Boston in there, so that's and Philly is in there as well. So it's not not perfect, but it, it is a nice Eastern swing there. Um, and then I actually like um, I actually like the uh, there's a stretch there in uh, where was it? Oh, in February. Uh, again, so after they play San Antonio to start the month, there's a, another stretch there. Uh, Minnesota sitting in the middle of it. This is between February 2nd to uh, basically down to the Lakers on the 23rd. Minnesota sitting in the middle of it. I'm not really scared of Minnesota, so uh, Indiana doesn't scare me either, even though they are a good basketball team. I think the Pelicans are probably better than them and have the advantage uh, over those teams. So uh, that stretch in February I like, and you always want to go – if you remember, like that was when the team really was kind of catching fire this season, and so you always want to stretch, kind of heading down into March, uh, where it usually gets gets tougher as the league tries to schedule more division games and conference games as the playoff race tightens up towards the end of the season. So, I think if they can make a run in February, um, you know they could be in good shape. But of course, it all depends on what happens in the you know first sixty odd games. So. All right, let's go ahead and move on. Before we do that, uh, Ali, I think Kevin Pelton had the Pelicans at over-under. Uh, it was somewhere around 46. I'll, I'll let you correct me on that. Before we get to that, of course, the Pelicans will play every Western Conference opponent four times each, with the exception 
of the world champion Golden State Warriors, the Los Angeles Clippers, the Portland Trailblazers, and the Utah Jazz. So three of those being playoff teams, of course, one being our nemesis in the Golden State Warriors. So uh, a pretty favorable slate there of teams the Pelicans will not be faced, uh, forced to face four times. Ali, let's talk about over and unders. Where do you see the Pelicans sitting in terms of Kevin Pelton's article? I think he he pretty much nailed it, although I, I'm in agreement with Kevin. I think just a few people are undervaluing the team. The reason I'm worried about a slower start is just simply the team coming together. Since Alfred Payton is going to be in charge of running the offense, or at least I'm expecting the coaching staff to give him as much run as possible, at least early on, to make sure or to try and make it fit. So I'm a little worried about that. And I'm also worried about Randall, of course. Um, is he going to be a little too passive playing next to Anthony Davis to where he's not going to be as aggressive as he typically is? Um, or is it going to be just the opposite? Or is he going to start like, you know, almost taking shots away from Nicola and AD? So that's that's really my biggest thing, because, Kevin, I agree with you. I, I don't think the rest of the competition is as good as people, you know, seem to make it out to be. I'm just worried about it all fitting and clicking. Um, that being said, Preston, answer your question completely. I do think right around 47, 48 wins, pretty much something similar to last season's my expectation. But I think very easily they could win about 50 if they have some injury luck. Um, and uh, things do come together a little bit quicker. But right now, I'm putting it right around what Kevin Pelton's got, right around 47 wins. All right, Kevin, what about you? Over or under? Yeah, I would I would say over. Um, I think it's like 48 to 50 wins. Um, but that's also, you know, if we don't have injury problems. And I would just say, too, that to counterpoint what Ali just said, I think – the difference between us and a team like Houston, say like the first game of the year, Houston might get off to a slower start because they lost uh, two key contributors on the wing and then they're putting in Carmelo Anthony, whereas we can play the same lineup we had in the playoffs for the majority of that game. Even though we've added Alfred Payton and Julius Randle, we can play guys. You know, you could have Holiday, Moore, um, Ian Clark uh, playing alongside with, Miritich and Davis for big stretches in that game where those guys have comfort in playing together because they closed out the season playing together. So I think we're in a little bit better shape chemistry wise than people uh, think we are as well um, because we have all those players still who contributed really uh, contributed really big minutes closing out the season and in the playoffs together. So those guys are comfortable together playing in that style and system. Whereas if the new guys are having trouble adapting or the old guys are having trouble adapting to the new guys, you can lean heavily on the experienced lineups that you have. All right, Jamal, we've got two overs. What about you? Uh, I'm going to go over two. I was thinking the same thing as Kevin with 48 to 50. Um, One thing I do like about this team is it always felt like um, no matter where, what spot they had on the team, that if somebody got hurt, that it was going to be immediate crisis. Didn't matter what area of the court it was. Um, but now, like for instance, if AD goes down for four games, Randall and Meritage are a good enough fit together that that you, you know it's not like if you lose Anthony Davis, obviously that's a big a big deal and you're less likely to win games. But at least you have two competent bigs that can play the lion's share of minutes, and most things about the offense won't change. Um, and that the same goes for and, you know Nico's a little more unique compared to the other two, but at least they have some flexibility there. One area on the court where they can sustain the injury and kind of keep it moving for a little while. Uh, so I like that. But also, when's the last time they brought back this many 
players who played a, a large role on the team uh, and didn't have some sort of injury that was hanging over at least one or two of them going into the season, right? It's been forever. Like, when when's the last time they brought back this many role players from any team that they've had, right? And so I think that's going to help. At least it'll be less of NBA training camps are always shockingly short. Um, and so there'll be a lot less transition. But there are two big pieces they are trying to work in in Randall and Peyton. So there still will be some transition. But at least your bench is, for the most part, the same. Um, the only other sort of caveat to that is you're working Solomon Hill back in, but he's not much of a impact on the offensive end. So I don't think it should hinder them that much. And ho- hopefully he could help them on defense uh, if he's recovered from his hamstring. So I think slightly, slightly over, um, but like we all say, but this is for every team, right? It's injury dependent. If LeBron goes down, you know, the Lakers aren't going anywhere. So um, no different for the Pelicans. All right, we've got three overs. I'm going to jump ahead to uh, a reader's question. This is from Jamo. He says, do you agree with Kellerman about AD taking over from LeBron as the best player in the league by the end of the season? What needs to be added to his game for him to step up to another level? And the reason that I'm jumping to this now is uh, basically in regards to all those nationally televised uh, events, as well as the Pelicans needing to get into uh, a fast start to start the season. We've seen that MVP candidates are traditionally one of the first three seeds in whichever conference, oftentimes one of the first two seeds. It's very rare that somebody like a Kobe Bryant as the fourth seed wins the MVP. So we need Anthony Davis in the top three seeds, which in all likelihood means a fast start, a lot of attention early. And then in these nationally televised games, the reason they make a difference to be at home is because all the attention goes to who it goes to your guy but of course it can still go to anthony davis should the pelicans show out in any of these contests there's four specifically uh right around the trade deadline where he can really take this um this idea by storm as an mvp candidate uh wednesday january 16th at golden state friday january 18th at portland monday january 21st at memphis before tuesday january 29th at Houston, these games all being played on ESPN and TNT. We're going to start with Ali. Max Kellerman, a first take in, uh, this was in regards to ESPN forecast panel, giving Anthony Davis 64 votes, LeBron James 85 votes. Right now they're forecasting him as the second uh, place finisher in the MVP. Ali, what do you think the odds are that Anthony Davis wins the MVP? What does he need to do in order to get it? I think it's a little bit better than last year. And some of it is going to, of course, have to do with how much is he going to improve individually. To be um, a true MVP candidate, you kind of have to be able to become a closer in this league and carry teams. Uh, that's what you're remembered for, some wins. So for AD to do that, he's either going to have to find some of that shooting range again. Because even last year, besides the three-point shooting, I felt like his mid-range, long mid-range game wasn't there like it was in previous seasons. And, of course, he's not the best dribbler either as to where he's a good playmaker um, you know, that true kind of threat like a Kevin Durant or LeBron James. So if he can add that, then great. That definitely raises his chances. But I think the biggest thing, of course, is going to be just how the Pelicans are doing. If they're a top four team in the West, then AD is automatically is going to be right up there with the, uh, you know, James Harden, whoever else, whoever else is doing really well, their teams like LeBron James, you, you, you name it. But he's going to be right there in the top three, top five if the Pelicans are just playing well. Uh, if they're mediocre, if they're just like a few games above 500, then yeah, he's not going to be talked about again. So it really just comes down to that. How much individual improvement and then where is the team going to be? 
Kevin, Anthony Davis numbers last season, 28-11, 2.6 blocks, which led the league in addition to 1.5 steals in 2.3 assists. Ali is correct in saying that the Pelicans need to win games in order for him to be considered. But do you think that his numbers last year were good enough to give him consideration for the top overall position? Or do you think he needs to add more statistics to that table? I think it's not so much a matter of statistics as it is, um, you know, a little bit more of eyeball test. Those numbers are great. So you can't really argue those numbers. Um, Those are MVP like numbers. Um, And I, and I do disagree with you a little bit that they have to be in the top three for him to win it. We've seen Russell Westbrook win it lower, lower than that. And I think it's all about expectations and narrative as well. And, if you're looking at Anthony Davis leading a Pelicans team that's say uh, fifth seed in the in the West and an improvement over what they did after losing Demarcus Cousins, another All Star, and he's play- and I think he's playing with a roster that is more talented and deeper than it was last season, but it's also a roster that's built to to more allow him to shine individually. Whereas when he was playing next to Boogie, Boogie was putting up these monster point numbers and rebound numbers. And while I expect Miritich and Randall to score very well and Drew Holiday to score very well, I still think that most nights Anthony Davis is going to have the biggest um, points per game, which will matter um, when we're talking about MVP voting. And um, I also um, think that if he, one thing, one area he does need to improve uh, if he wants to take it to the next level is definitely an, in his handle and in his, in his playmaking. Um, if he makes steps in that area, um, then the team will be better. He will look better and then he'll have his for MVP. But I think he has a, you know, if you just looked at numbers, those numbers would be fine for an MVP. Sure. All right. Before we go to Jamile, the last 10 MVP uh, winners, LeBron, LeBron, Derek Rose, LeBron, LeBron, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook and James Harden. So he is correct. Russell Westbrook uh, was outside of the top four, but he being the only one in the last 10 years. And I know that uh, most of those are wrapped up by LeBron. Jamile, what's your take on this? What do you think Anthony Davis needs to win to be considered for MVP? Yeah, I think his numbers are already there. Um I, but like Kevin said, you know, he, he doesn't necessarily always have the ability at the end of games to take control. And one of the things about NBA offense just in general, especially on the half court, is that the reason you can see players like, for instance, Damian Lillard almost make a bigger impact offensively on a team, regardless, even though he's overall not a better player, uh, is because he can actually move the defense, right? And Anthony Davis, typically in the half court, He's either getting on the block or maybe at the uh, you know on the wing or maybe at the top of the top of the arc or something and making something happen from there. But the defense always now they can't always stop it, but they do always know where he's coming from, right? They know where he's going to attack from. Um, and so to Kevin's point, if he can add a little more ball handling, which he's already a good ball handler, he's just not um, so good that he can actually you know take someone off a dribble and you know through multiple dribbles, which is tough for a big guy, right? Durant is really the only one we've ever seen do it quite like that. So, But that would be uh, the one thing. But also, I think there's multiple routes for him, right? If he's the same player he was last year, but the team does you know, way better, like they're a, a top three seed, like you were saying, I think you know nobody's going to want to give it to Harden again after what happened to the playoffs. You know how – I'm not saying that makes sense. I'm just saying that – this is how NBA writers think. 
Um, but so they're not going to want to give it to Harden again. They're not going to, you know, you could always give it to a Warrior, but they're going to be looking for somebody, and he's going to. This this will be sort of the third straight season where he really has been MVP level, and but the wins weren't there. So if the wins show up, yeah, he'll get there. Kevin's also right that if he's a little bit lower, I think he can still win it. But then your numbers just have to be a little more uh, impressive, which, I mean, how much more impressive could they really get? But I think something like that. I I think really the route, the easiest route is more wins because, yeah, you can win it lower, but, um, you know, those guys are always going to have that little bit of edge on you when they say, well, you know, he's, you know, he's only in the fifth seed rather than the top three. But in the West, honestly, if the Rockets take a small step back but are still the second-best team, the difference between two and five could be three three or three-and-a-half games. So maybe wins won't matter. But I think, you know, if they can win more, that'll definitely help. Yeah, definitely. I would, Sorry, I, would just add too, I meant to say this when I was uh, talking previously. But, like, if you look around at all the top candidates, um, you know, everybody has another perennial all-star level player next to them except for maybe Giannis and LeBron now. Um, so I think if Anthony Davis puts up numbers and the team is, is playing well and is, you know, above the lower tier of the playoff rating, he has a little bit of advantage in the sense that he doesn't have that perennial all-star next to him. Whereas, you know, in Houston, Harden has CP3 um, and then, you know, Golden State, you know how that goes. And, and in Boston, even you have, you know, guys like Kyrie and Hayward. Um, so I think, um, you know, that, that plays advantage to him as well. I think it's just they have deeper talent. It's not um, a deeper team that has a lot of talent. It's just not talent that has made it to the all-star level yet um, that will help him elevate his, uh, you know, personal brand, so to say, because of uh, the way that we play and the fact that he will now be more of a face of the franchise again. Definitely nice, uh, nice guys. Uh, that's that's one of the reasons that I wanted to bring up this conversation that that I had with Ollie earlier, just about those home nationally televised games. How important that it, he, he does show out on the national stage, and the Pelicans get out to a quick start. Those NBA TV games, just in case I didn't give those to you guys, that's at Oklahoma City, at Toronto, at Boston, then home for Houston, Dallas, Philly, before going on the road at Atlanta. So those are the seven games you may not have heard about. Let's go ahead and transition over to Jaleel Okafor. Uh, Ed Matthews says that I'm pronouncing it wrong, so I've got it fixed, but I think we should uh, have some fun with this. Obviously, the the big battle is going to be between Jaleel Okafor and Emeka Okafor, so I am hereby suggesting that we change the Okafor name for Emeka or Jaleel to OK4, just so we can discern between the two. I'll let Ali judge for that one. Here's a question from Ezekiel Castleton. By the way, that is an awesome name. He says, <laughs> I hope I'm not too late. I uh, hope I'm not too late. I need an in-depth review of Jay Oak's ability to produce and what he brings to the table. Thanks, guys. Jay Oak is also a cool nickname. So we, we need to be able to, to discern these two guys, Ali. First of all, how do we do it? And second of all, who wins this battle in training camp? Well, for me, uh, Emeka is always going to be uh, Mechatron because that's what he was when he was first with the uh, <laughs> New Orleans franchise first time around. That's what we all came up with and named or stuck with that nickname. So I'm just going to always refer him as either Mecha or Megatron. Uh, as for Jaleel, uh, he can just be Joff right now because until he does something, you know, we've got to realize that this guy's really almost on the verge of being out of the NBA, despite the fact he was a number three pick just three, four years ago. Um, you know, this might be his last hurrah if he doesn't really show something up in tra- or this coming upcoming training camp. So 
he's got, you know, he's got all the potential in the world. We saw what came out of Duke. We saw what he did in that first season where his back to the basket game is one of the best in the league. Um, he's actually a decent rebounder. You know, he's decent in a lot of areas down inside the, the uh, paint, but putting the ball through the hoop is by far his best one. Now, of course, everything's degraded every season since. You know, he's lost some speed, lost some mobility, and, of course, the lack of improvement, especially on the defensive side, has really, you know, really hurt him as to where even Brett Brown, Brett Brown, excuse me, the Sixers head coach didn't want to play him a lot of minutes, play him starters like minutes anymore, um, and take chances on New Orleans Noel, who had flaws in his games, give Embiid uh, more run and not go with two centers simply because, you know, there's that, that many flaws in Jaws' game. So he's going to have to make just massive improvements just to make the team. And I will say I was encouraged. You know, you look at some of that footage where he's just working in the gym. It does look like he's lighter on his feet. He moves a lot quicker. And he's added some range. Because that's another big thing. The guy could never score really or even look for shots outside of the free throw line. Now that you see him posting video of at least doing that, maybe there's a chance that his game can broaden. And therefore, you know, he'll be more valuable to the Pelicans in, in this new upstyle quick scoring uh nba now so it's it's all a toss-up you know i don't care what anybody says it's a total guess at this point until you see this guy competing against other nba players and that includes even a mecca um how he just competes against him and whoever brings more to the table i mean that's who's going to win that training camp so you got to think a mecca he's he's guaranteed to be what we saw last season right he's going to be that stout defender that great guy around running around on the perimeter setting screens for everyone uh, I know Preston every week on all our podcasts always commented, you know, he's really the only good, decent score, uh, setter out there on the court. So we know what he's going to bring to the table. Jaw's going to have to better that. His impact is going to have to be better. And right now, like I said, it's a flip of a coin, whether that's going to come to fruition or not. Kevin, he mentioned a lot of good points. Uh, in addition, I wanted to I wanted to bring up that uh, he's been training with David Alexander and Avon Rabin. I hope I'm saying that right. In Miami, he's lost 17 pounds. Ali mentioned how good he's looked this summer. Uh, however, he does have one definitive advantage over Mecca Okafor or Mechatron, as we've dubbed him now. Uh, and that's a 14-year age difference. They were both taken in the top three overall selections. But that 14 years uh, weighs pretty heavily on their battle. Kevin, Ali is hesitant to crown jaw right now. Who do you dub as the front runner at this point in time heading into training camp? Um, first off, I'm going to say Ali has obviously never been to Jamaica because he said, oh, he's just Ja. You know, he doesn't see the specialness of that name, I guess. But um, I'll uh, <laughs> I'll uh, say that um, I don't necessarily think that it's a battle between the Okafors because if you look at the roster, um, you have – we have 18 players that are under contract. I'm not counting Blewett because he's under a two-way. Um, and I think, you know, Williams is probably just uh, – Kenrick Williams is probably just a camp body. And Garland Green will likely also just be a camp body that's waived. So with with that in mind, that leaves you room for, um, for both of those guys because I think DeAndre Liggins is also the guy that's probably going to be – waived to make room for to keep job because you have other guys on this roster now you have um ian clark you have frank jackson you have etuan moore you have darius miller you have solomon hill you have nikola miritich these guys can give you minutes on the wings and in the spots that liggins would have played um they've seen what they what they gotten liggins and i think okafor's leadership and his screen setting his rebounding his work ethic and practice those sort of things are important especially if you want to keep a guy like 
uh, Jaleel. And if you want to keep a guy like Diallo, you want him to be a mentor to those guys and give them some runs. So I don't necessarily see it as an Okafor versus Okafor battle. I could see a world where they both are on the uh, regular season roster um, to start the year. I could be wrong about that, but I just don't necessarily think that it's as cut and dry as people think because Okafor is a center. Both Okafors are a center. One of them's got to go. Um, but Jaleel, uh, I mean, he has sort of an old school post up game. I don't necessarily see how Alvin Gentry and Darren Ehrman want to do both of them um, in terms of offense and defense. Um, that's not to say that he can't be a productive player in the NBA and even for the Pelicans. It would take special situations, special lineups, playing a different way to let him really shine. And I don't think that Alvin Gentry or Ehrman are going to want to do that because we saw we saw them not do that for talents like uh, DeMarcus Cousins and Tyreek Evans. We saw them run systems that didn't ma- maximize their efforts and chastise them when they played outside of that um, system. So I don't see why they would do it for Jaleel Okafor. That being said, I'm not upset with him getting an opportunity to to fit on this roster because he does have uh, offensive skills and maybe he has improved his physique and maybe he has improved on the defensive end and his contract is, you know, it's, it's no harm, no foul. If it doesn't work out, you just wave them and it's done. Uh, so it's a, a decent flyer on a guy that obviously Dell Dimps has been interested in for a while. And Dell Dimps has proven to be a guy who finds good fringe talent. And so Jaleel couldn't be that guy. Um, and so, you know, we'll see. I just don't necessarily think it is Okafor versus Okafor like a lot of people see it. Jamal, I'm going to ask you that same question. The reason I'm doing it is this. Obviously, we expect Julius Randle, Nico, Anthony Davis all to take turns at both the four and the five. We expect them each to average somewhere over 30 minutes per game, AD probably closer to 36, uh, maybe Nico and Randall splitting somewhere in between. So there's not going to be a lot of center minutes to be had. In addition, uh, I, I think you can anticipate the Pelicans are not going to be able to tr- uh, trade Alexis Agensa until a little bit closer to the deadline. And there's simply no reason to waive him. They have to pay that $5.3 million regardless. I don't think the Pelicans are yet ready to move on from Czech Diallo unless it's in a trade. They only owe him. I think 1.5 million this year and somewhere around 1.8 or 1.9 next year. He's only a third year player. He's only been playing competitive basketball for five or six years. So that is the reason that I think it's an Okafor versus Okafor battle right now. Jamal, what, what say you on the matter? Well, th- this is the one move that Dell made this offseason that I didn't quite get at all. Like, you know, Alfred Payton has his, his minuses, but, at least he plays a style that theoretically could work if he gets, you know, cleans up a couple other parts of his game. But Okafor, you, you've already got near zero minutes that that he's going to be able to, that are going to be available, obviously, barring an injury. You've got Diallo that you've been developing. And, you know, look, he's frustrating, but he, he's shown us more than what Okafor has shown, right? Even though he can have lapses, he can also have these little brilliant spurts where he's at least giving you a ton of energy, right? And that, and some good things can happen off of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with Emeka, you have a guy who is at this point just satisfied being in the NBA and getting minutes where they're available. Okafor could have more of an agenda. And I don't mean agenda like, you know, he's going to bring the organization down or anything. He's not 
you know, his contract does not um, make that a risk. But I just mean he's there could be a time where he becomes frustrated during the season because he's not getting any minutes uh, because obviously they have several players who are, um, you know, way better than him at his position. So um, I didn't quite get it from Dale's perspective, but if you're talking about Okafor to Okafor, um, I would still go with Mecca. I think, at this point, unless they have some kind of intel we don't have and they know that, hey, he's, you know, getting it together or something, but uh, apparently there was, you know, one of maybe only two or three other NBA teams that had any interest. So, um, so I'm not quite sure what they were going for here. But, hey, I mean, like you guys said, the contract is – is no risk for them from an NBA perspective. So um, I, maybe you just take a shot on the younger guy and maybe you can think, well, maybe we upgrade over the older Omeka Okafor. But I tend to like a guy who knows his role and is satisfied with that role completely. You know, Okafor, even if he settles into that role, will always be looking, you know, for something a little bit bigger. And, you know, I'm kind of satisfied with a little solid defense, set some decent screens, and be quiet on the end of the bench. So I would go with the older Okafor. All right. With that, we'll go ahead and transition to our next line of questioning, and it's all about point guards. Obviously, the Pelicans this summer have been tied to a good number of point guards. I'll try to remember all of them. Remember Yogi Ferrell, um, Reggie Jackson last year. This year, uh, this is compelling podcasting. Tyreek Evans. Uh, now, of course, they're <laughs> tied to Mario Chalmers. I should have written this down ahead of time. This is what happens when I try to access the memory bank. Let's start with Dar- Darius Miller fan club, Ollie. Uh, uh-huh. His first question, could Alfred Payton have a breakout season with the Pelicans? No. I think that- <laughs> No, no, this is not a knock. I mean, what do you consider a breakout? To me, that's like you definitely step it up in a lot of areas, and you kind of emerge as one of the better – players on your team i just don't foresee that uh but that's not a knock on alfred or his potential i just think that for him all the pelicans really want is somebody to be able to run the offense of course for say around 30 minutes a game to push that pace and to uh, be aggressive to take his man off the dribble you know to create driving lanes to where the opponent's defense collapses and of course defensively guard your own man be able to guard your position and then of course in the pelicans switching schemes to be able to adequately switch and then guard guys a little bit bigger, you know, some forward, some uh, other shooting guards. If he can do that, then yeah, that to me would be a successful breakout season. But I don't think almost anybody else uses that definition for something like that. So that's why I said that I'm not meant to not to be, you know, funny, but also if you're going to suddenly expect him to score 18 points a game, I mean, do you want a guy that really has no perimeter shot and you've got a lot of be- better teammates on the court? I mean, it's, it's, it, it, I'm not even going to open up that can of worms. So no, Preston, he's not going to have a breakout season, but the Pelicans don't need him to uh, for them to be successful. I'll go easy on you, Ali, because you did give the Pelicans to over, but you also mentioned a slow start. Uh, you you had your doubts about Ja, about Alfred Payton, and you don't really <laughs> care about the nationally televised storyline. So I'm going to go away from you for a while, and I'm going to explore some positivity with my friend Kevin Berrios, the birthday boy. I gave a positive synopsis <laughs> of Alfred. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I think he's going to be a lot better than where he's been in his previous stops. But again, to have a breakout season, I mean, I don't know. I guess my definition is different. 
I think just being a starter on a playoff team, and I'll, I'll transition over to Kevin, as well as as long as he can hold his own defensively, we know that he's going to put up numbers offensively. He's going to give those Rajon Rondo type numbers somewhere around like, you know, 10, 8, and 7, similar to Rajon Rondo's numbers. Uh, if he can improve his shooting a little bit with the Orlando Magic last year, he was around 50% from the field, and I think he was around 35 to 36% from three before he went to Phoenix, and all those numbers just jumped off a cliff. So all the Pelicans really need from him is just steady defense. Kevin, do you think Alfred Payton can do that in New Orleans? I mean, I hope so. Uh, we've seen Darren Irvin transform, uh, you know, bad defenders into adequate defenders before. So I'm hoping that is the same case with Alfred Payton, um, teaching him how to get off the screens, teaching him where to where to be, working on his footwork. Um, those kind of things. Uh, but that's the big thing. If he can be effective defensively, um, then this team will be a nightmare for other teams um, to play because, you know, we have Drew Holiday, we have Anthony Davis, Julius Randle is one of the most versatile defenders in the league. Um, Solomon Hill will be back, who's an above average defender. Um, and Etwan Moore, you know, he's a solid defender at twos and he puts in work going against threes. He's, he has that effort. So um, you're looking at a pretty solid defensive unit that, closed out, um, you know, post boogie jumped up to sixth in the league defensively. And then we've already added, you know, a, a much better defender in Julius Randle and Alfred Payton can provide a step up above what R Rondo provided. Then we're really in good shape. Um, as far as offense goes, you know, I don't think you need that much more from him. As Ali said, um, you know, if he can get to the rim and finish at the rim, great. If he can hit 38, 40% of his wide open threes, fine um you know and as long as he's running the offense getting the ball out of his hands moving it around and creating for others um i think he's going to be a an effective replacement but it all does just really teeter on how good he will be defensively and look he has he's been not a good defender in the nba but he came into the nba with defensive pedigree so hopefully they can unlock whatever was there before you know he went to a bad young team um, with um, with not a great culture. Now he's coming into one that has a good culture that is winning, that ha is still young, but still has some old guys, older guys on there, guys with a lot of experience now. Um, so hopefully that all trickles down and rubs off on him. We've already seen him start to work out with Julius Randle's uh, trainer, which is very promising, getting him in shape. Um, so I think he's going to have a good year. Um I don't necessarily know that he's going to have this amazing breakout year that, you know, we were asked about just now, but I think he'll be a solid player in this league and it, and it all depends on his uh, commitment to defense. All right, Jamal, you're going to finish out the triumvirate. Uh, Alfred Payton, what would it take for him to break out? Obviously this is going to be a contract year for him. What would it take for him to earn something like a four year, $40 million deal? Oh, oh it, it, it's going to take quite a bit. Like there's a pretty bad taste around the league's mouth, uh, around the league in their mouth about Alfred Payton, obviously, if he's on a minimum deal, basically here in New Orleans. So um, I, I think that would be a huge, uh, sort of a huge jump for him to get a, a long-term deal like that. Although I could see him getting, if he has a really good season, like one or two years at maybe close to the same money, but maybe not the long-term commitment. But uh, in terms of the breakout year, I, I think, you know, I would kind of redefine it almost like Ali did. Um, to me, for him, his offensive numbers are close enough. Um, like if he's if he's getting 14 and seven somewhere in that range, I think 
you know, from an offensive standpoint, that's not a total stretch. But defensively, as Kevin and and Ali mentioned, is going to be where he can make his hay because you've already got Drew out there on the perimeter, um, and and so if you and you you've got perhaps a healthy Solomon coming back, um, and I'm not sure if you want to play you know him and Peyton together, but that's another conversation. But you know if you have another guard who can really guard out there on the perimeter next to Drew, uh, that would take the defense maybe to another level. So. If he is a guy who late in the season people are starting to notice, hey, Alfred Payton is really, you know, starting to shut down certain people or at least playing really well in within a team team concept on defense, um, and kind of gets in the conversation for maybe comeback player or not comeback, but most improved player of the year, or maybe even some second team all defense talk. I, I think that's a not necessarily getting on the list, but just being a guy who's like somebody, you know, some nerd somewhere will even drop his name without you know, being, you know, scared that he's going to be laughed at, right? If he can improve to that point, one, I think the team will do really well, which will raise everyone's profile. But two, I think you could, you could consider that for him a breakout year, um, just being a, a net positive to a team on the court rather than, you know, a negative despite having some strong parts of his game. So uh, I think that's what he would have to do. Remains to be seen if he could really commit to that to that side of the ball to accomplish that. Uh, but I think if he did that, he could get a decent contract offer. Uh, maybe not for as long as because people would want to maybe see him do it for another season before committing to something like that. But, um, you know, enough where the Pelicans will have to think about it. All right, Ali, we're moving on to Frank Jackson. This question is from Joseph. He says, does he deserve minutes as a backup guard, even if Alvin does have a history of keeping minutes for the veterans? And since Joseph asked two questions, we'll go ahead and get both of them. Uh, The second question is, well, we'll get to that when we get to it. Let's start with Frank Jackson. Do you see him getting minutes this season? Absolutely. I think the Pelicans are high on him, and I know we only saw him for 13 minutes in uh, the summer league, but you know what? He looked like he was a step above most of the competition there. So I think he's he's ready to step in and give you NBA minutes because his aggressiveness, just his scoring ability, driving into the, the lane, taking contact, and then scoring through that contact is a really big deal. It's something the Pelicans don't really have from any of their existing guards. It's something we've lamented ever since Tyreek Evans kind of went downhill and then left the team. So I think that's a really big deal, and that's something the Pelicans really want to utilize. And then, of course, you've got to realize that this kid's also a little bit bigger. And he's got a lot of game that we're not familiar with. None of us are, probably including the coaching staff. So it's going to, you know, it's all going to have to unfold in training camp and preseason pressing. So you don't want to set too high expectations. But I was super high on him when the Pelicans first drafted him, when they moved up in that draft to grab him. And, uh, you know, nothing's changed for me. It's just he's got to stay healthy. He's got to be at 100% physically and then just – you know, be able to stay on the floor. If he does that, then I definitely think he'll crack that rotation. All right, Kevin, let's go over to you and let's go ahead and get to another question right now. It's from hot Pelicans takes. He says, how likely is it that the Pelicans sign a veteran starting point guard before training camp? And we mentioned this, of course, because it was in the news that Mario Chalmers is rumored, rumored as a Pelicans uh, target at this point. So who takes those minutes behind, let's say, Ian Clark and Alfred Payton? Is it Mario Chalmers? Is it Frank Jackson? Does he redshirt for another year? Uh, or do you think it goes to another Jameer Nelson type? Um, 
I, I mean, I could see them bringing in um, Chalmers, uh, but again, I don't think it's necessarily sacrificing any of these guys. It's just to see what he has available and to see if he's an upgrade over some of the bottom end of the roster, whether that's Okafor, uh, Jaleel Okafor or Mecca Okafor or Liggins or somebody like that getting sacrificed out because, you know, he's a seasoned vet who's a solid player. You know, he's like a Jameer Nelson kind of addition that we had. Um, as I think, you know, as much as it is Alfred Payton's uh, job to to lose at point guard, I think Ian Clark's minutes are Frank Jackson's to lose um, this season. I think they're going to try to get Frank Jackson more involved uh, because he does he, he presents what can be a more dynamic score because of his athleticism and because of his shooting. Um, so adding that piece to the puzzle would also be huge for the Pelicans bench, a guy who can create for himself. Um, that being said, you have the Ian Clark uh, safety safety net should Frank Jackson not pan out or get injured or just not be ready at this moment. Um, but I think the kicking the tires on Chalmers um, is is not a bad idea. And to bring him into camp and to see if he can beat somebody out um, is, is uh, you know, you always want your best players, no matter what they are, and a guy who can make plays and make the players around you better is obviously, uh, you know, the kind of player you want to add to the locker room and to the deep bench as well. All right, Jamal. Uh, what do you think? Out of these three guys, Frank Jackson, Ian Clark, or a player yet to be named, who do you think gets the most minutes at the backup point guard position this year? Um, well, I actually think it's going to be closer to a tie, right, between Ian Clark and Frank Jackson. Um, I don't see anyone out there that's going to really help them, you know, from a point veteran point guard perspective. Um you know, that's going to really give you much of anything um, except someone who can just bring the ball up. But I think between one, they've, they've got a, they're high on Jackson, but they've got to find out what they have in him. Of course, if he's, you know, high garbage, you know, he'll be, you know, at the end of the bench because his team is trying to win right now. But I think it'll be between him and Ian Clark. And the reason I said I think it'll be closer to a tie is because I think early in the season, it'll probably be more Clark. But if Jackson really is able to, uh, sort of come on as the season goes along. We see rookies all the time. Um, you know, the the ones who are really good generally will play okay in the early parts of the season and then really start to come on towards the end of the season. Um, and so I think you could see maybe Frank Jackson steal some of Ian Clark's minutes as the season goes along. But I think, you know, we've seen this coaching staff before. They like to – they're always seemingly in win-now mode – this year is going to be, you know, not very different. Frank Jackson is definitely going to get his chances, uh, but I think early on they'll probably lean on the veteran. And then if Frank Jackson is able to come along and improve as the season goes along, get used to the NBA game, I could see him finishing the season, taking the minutes that maybe Ian Clark started the season with. All right. We've got one question left. It's also from Joseph. We'll start over at Ollie. Finish strong for us, my friend. He said, should Julius Randle start or come off the bench? And then he wrote in parentheses, something Julius gets frustrated with and something Nico is cool with, although Nico may be better for spacing. Who do you see starting? I know that we've talked about this at length. So let's let's look at another uh, take on this. Obviously, we've got that that nugget from Joel Myers that he anticipates uh, Nikola Miritich starting at the three position with Julius Randle. And of course, Anthony Davis is probably going to be splitting some time at five with whoever is on the floor with him. 
What are the odds you think that we see all three of these guys on the floor together, say, for 20 minutes a game? Mm. For 20 minutes a game, I don't think they're that strong. I don't think you want those three guys out there simply because you want them dominating the time spent at the four and five. I don't think there's also any reason to have whoever's playing the three be running themselves, chasing all over, you know, some smaller guy in the wing. Um, and he's playing out of position. You know, it, it just it adds too many things. I think it, it I'm curious why Joel Myers, first of all, thinks of him starting. I can only assume that he probably perceives that Julius Randle has been given some kind of uh, almost like a guarantee from uh, Dell Dempson signing that contract with the Pelicans that, you know, he's going to start kind of like how Solomon Hill, I think, was had a similar promise made to him. So maybe that's what Joel Myers kind of banking on. I'm not sure, but I don't like the idea of starting with that three, uh, th- those three bigs in the starting lineup for that reason only. I think it's best just to close out games because that's when the pace really slows down. It's something I've been meaning to write, but in fourth quarters, pace drops off dram- dramatically, especially within uh, the last five minutes of the game during clutch moments. So that's when I would like to see all three guys kind of, you know, still have some stamina left in their legs. And they'll be on the floor at the same time because, you know what, you always want to finish with your five best players. And those three guys are clearly uh, in the top five on the Pelicans roster. All right, Kevin, obviously there's going to be a lot of experimenting with this early on in the season. As Ollie mentioned earlier, it could be clunky in the early going, uh, specifically with the rigorous schedule the Pelicans have in the first 15 games. How do you see it all working out? And what do you think Alvin Gentry starts with? Yeah, I mean, barring any crazy uh, injury rash on the wing, I don't see that as a starting lineup. I I think they possibly, I mean, I think they will play together, uh, all three together here and there every now and then. And I think, but I don't think it'll be more for five minutes a game um, because of the issues that Ollie brought up and just because of uh, the speed that they want to play at. Um, and and just fit and keeping those guys fresh. And that's the advantage you have is you can constantly sort of hockey sub those guys out and keep them uh, fresh and keep two really solid big men on the court at all times. Um, but for me, I, uh, I know Ollie wrote that uh, he just wrote that really good piece on Julius Randall being underrated by some. And I, I understand his argument and I'm one of the people who thinks Randall should come off the bench, but it's not because I don't, think that he's not as good as Miritich because I think he's a better player than Miritich. I just think um, in terms of on-the-court physics, I like Miritich, Davis, uh, more or Hill, preferably more with uh, Peyton and Drew Holiday to start and get you some offensive firepower out there, some shooting to start the game off. And we've seen that be also effective defensively, even though, you know, you putting stress on Ethan Moore guarding bigger guys, but that's something we're used to by now. Um, and I think bringing in Randall because of his ability to to make plays with the second unit and to be able to uh, score for himself and and dominate. Um, whereas you won't have a scoring drop off when you insert him in there. And I think he'll make everybody around him a little bit better. He's playing with Darius Miller. He'll be able to create for him to get him uh, threes like. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins used to, um, we saw what happened to him after DeMarcus Cousins went down. I think Randall's playmaking is just as good, if not better than uh, what Cousins was bringing. Um, And he does it with less dribbles and those kind of things. So I just think that um, Randall is a better overall basketball player than Nico Miritich. And that's no knock on Miritich because Miritich is a great player. Um, 
but I still think I like him coming off the bench just because of team fit and, and concepts. And also, you know, he can be the anchor for your defense on that second unit. So you don't slip defensively either because he's so versatile defensively. Right, Jamal. Obviously, we've talked at length about Julius Randle and Nico's individual fits with Anthony Davis, but they're going to be forced to play a lot of minutes together. How do you think Nico and Julius Randle fit on the court without Anthony Davis? I think this is actually the most compelling part of bringing Julius Randle in, right? Because what have we been talking about basically since maybe 82nd year, second, third year? It's always been about his minutes, right? Trying to get his minutes down. They're stubbornly high. And I think with bringing in Randall, you could get him perhaps, you know, if the team's doing well below, you know, 35 minutes, maybe down to 34, somewhere in there, uh, which is, you know, a little bit, doesn't sound like a lot, but over the course of a season, you know, that can add up. So um, I think this will be an area where when AD is off the court and you have those two guys, I think their games fit pretty well together. Julius wants to uh, bang on the inside, you know, maybe catch it on the wing and drive to the basket while Nico uh, can space the floor a little bit uh, for him and, and, you know, out there with maybe a couple of the guards, uh, maybe Etwan and, and uh, Darius, Darius Miller at times or, or Ian Clark or whomever is out there, you can get a much more balanced floor that way. So I think the fit between those two guys is really strong. Uh, and so I think the Pelicans, if they play it right, they can maybe bring Davis's minutes down a bit Um you know, while and keep him fresh for for deep in the season. I really wonder though, you know, and and this is a question for another day probably, but um, you got to think that one of these two guys is going to get moved, uh, and I would guess that it was going to be Meritage because it would make more sense more sense to move him for a three if a deal is available at some point. Uh, and I don't know if AD recruited Julius Randle to New Orleans just to trade him in February. So um, just something for, for fans to kind of chew on, uh, even though I don't want to lose either of these guys, but you got to wonder how sustainable that is going forward with their contract situation. That's something we had a heated debate about a couple of podcasts ago. That's a point that I brought up um, and Ali was, was strongly against it for obvious reasons. Ali has a question that he'd like to pose to the group, or do you want to answer that before we move on? Yeah, no, I do have one. Cause Kevin kind of made it interesting as to where, um, he doesn't see it as an Okafor Okafor battle earlier. And then Jamal just was talking about how he foresees both Frank Jackson, Ian Clark kind of splitting um, backup minutes evenly as to where there's maybe not a need for a third guy. So I, I think it's, we should talk about how there's 12 guaranteed contracts, right? So, you know, Dell Demps normally likes to come out of training camp with 14. That's where he leaves at least one guy um, or one a space for one on the roster. So who do you guys think should take those remaining two spots? Uh, me, I'll just kick it off. I'll just say I want to see uh, one of the Okafords, of course, and I would prefer Ja, ja uh, grabs it, grabs the reins, by, bull by the horns, and wins it outright because he can definitely give more being the younger uh, player. Uh, so he's still definitely got a lot more left in the tank. That's where we could maybe even rely on him. You know, even, be, I mean, knock on wood, we don't want to see Anthony Davis get hurt, but say AD's out and we need kind of a back-to-the-basket some kind of legitimate center out there, you would prefer to see Jaleel with what he can possibly do instead of a Mecca. So that would be my 13th. And the 14th guy, I would like to see Ty Lawson. I think the Pelicans do need a uh, some kind of veteran point guard. And out of all those remaining options, Ty Lawson's the only one that I think can do anything positive out there. I've got no faith in Mario Chalmers or the rest of the guys. So, Kev, why don't you kick it off? Who do you, who do you think should fill out the roster 
If I'm limited to 14, though, and I understand where you're coming from with that, but I think this year's a little bit different because there are so many non-guaranteed, and then you have agendas expiring um, that is certainly going to be moved uh, that I think you could see them entering the season with 15, which is unusual for Dell Demps, but I, I think that would be the actual plan. But for me, um, uh, I think I would go – I see, I like a Mecca over Jaleel still. I would I would take a Mecca, and then I would take a flyer on uh, Troy Williams, and I would – and I would make the guys on the roster prove to me that I need to bring in another point guard okay. before I did that. All right, Jamile. Um, so I would probably go with one of the Okafors. I'd probably lean towards Omeka, although I do get what you're saying with, with Jaleel. He does bring some, some extra value. Um, and then I do think that they do need a, a veteran point guard because, look, there's a there's definitely a universe where Alfred Payton is a dumpster fire, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, that that possibility exists. So I wouldn't mind a, a Ty Lawson or uh, a Shabazz Napier or some, someone like that, uh, if maybe you want to go a little bit younger. Uh, but I, I actually do think they do need another another guard because, you know, if if Payton doesn't make these improvements that we hope that he does make, uh, it puts Drew back on the spot and. And, you know, we've seen how good he can be when the pressure is off off of him um, as a primary ball handler. So I would want to pick up a, an extra point guard, and I'd probably go with Napier. I'll jump in here. Shabazz Napier, unfortunately, signed with Brooklyn Nets. He was someone that I hope the Pelicans would target as well as Seth Curry. Uh, the Pelicans oh, were also – I know. Uh, they also took Ed Davis off the Portland Trailblazers' hands. In addition to uh, the point guards that we've mentioned, Mario Chalmers, uh, the Pelicans were also said to have interest in IT via Anthony Davis' Twitter, uh, Instagram account. Tyreek Evans, it was rumored that Dell Dems reached out to his guys uh, trying to get them to contact Tyreek on the eve of free agency. And then, of course, Yogi Ferrell more recently. I know Kevin and I have talked at length about Thomas Sadoransky. Uh, I wouldn't mind taking a flyer on Mario Chalmers. Uh, this probably wouldn't work, but the the Boston Celtics are just uh, they're just destined to go into the tax next season. They just brought Marcus Smart back behind Kyrie Irving. Of course, Kyrie's going to expect a big payday. And Terry Rozier is a restricted free agent this year. You'd have to expect there's no way they're going to be able to pay him unless their owner is willing to go into the tax. And I think that could be a compelling uh spot I, I think the pelicans could be a compelling landing spot for terry rozier i know that he was pretty awful in that game seven but up until that point he was sensational in the playoffs i don't have the numbers in front of me but it was somewhere around 25 and 5 uh big time scorer in the clutch uh just played really well uh i think a first round pick in alexis agenda gets it done especially if it's like you know top three protected in 2020 or 2021 problem with that is then you punch your chances to add a wing uh, near near the deadline. But right now, I think the Pelicans are pretty good. I don't think there's any more additions other than just taking a flyer on somebody like a Ja or Mario Chalmers. Uh, I think the Pelicans at this point in time just have to wait until the deadline to make any necessary additions. And we know that they're going to be buyers. We know that they have their picks at their full disposal. So we know that the Pelicans, although they look pretty good right now, barring injury, of course, which is always something that's difficult to do, they're going to get better once we approach January and February and Del Demps, uh pulls one of those deals like he did in the past two years for Nico Miritich and DeMarcus Cousins. We have to anticipate that another one is coming. Some of the names that I had, uh, if if these teams should struggle out of the gate, of course, Minnesota, Portland, uh, it seems that Dame Lillard is already disgruntled and we haven't even started the season yet. Of course, the the Memphis Grizzlies, they've got, uh, you know, older veterans in Mike Conley, Marcus Saul, 
you've got Jimmy Butler and Andrew Wiggins. Uh, the Pelicans probably wouldn't be interested in Wiggins with that with that salary cap number, but Jimmy Butler uh, could be interesting. Uh, and so we just don't know what's going to happen. But whatever happens, I would expect that the Pelicans probably won't solidify those two to three spots until we get a bit closer to the deadline. Um, I think that covers it. Ali, you haven't answered your own question yet, I think. Do you want to get in there? No, I did. I said Ty Lawson and Jelly Okafor. Okay, we still have another position left. That's only 14. Well, the 15th I'm leaving open, but it goes to what Kevin said, actually. Out of all those uh, small forwards are going to be competing in training camp, both of the Williams guys and the Garland Green, if one of those guys really uh, shines, then you just automatically hand it to that guy. Otherwise, it's open. Any chance that Trayvon Blewett should impress in training camp, uh, maybe in some exhibition games and get bumped up? No, I think even if he impresses, I think they're set on uh, having him stay on that two-way contract and playing a lot of the, you know, getting a lot of his reps in the uh, D-League. All right, that's it for now, you guys. Thank you guys again for tuning in. Uh, This is the Bird Calls podcast dedicated to SB Nation's TheBirdRights.com. We're going to be back next weekend with our first live podcast. I promise this time. Yeah, I know. Uh, For those of you who are still with us, uh, we tried to make it happen this time. A couple of technical difficulties, and I just punted on it. We'll just figure it out next week. In the meantime, you guys, if you like us, please show your support by sharing this episode and give us a five-star rating on whatever uh, podcast uh, forum you listen to, whether it be iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, Let's start over with Ali. Of course, you can follow him at Ali Cosell. He is our editor-in-chief. What have you got cooking this week? I got to get back to writing some more good stuff. Yeah, like I was talking about maybe some lineups, uh, what, why, you know, what makes more sense, who should start, who should close. I still want to do an in-depth piece on Alfred Payton, but I haven't had a chance to watch a video yet. So until I see some games, I can't write on him. But that's my next big one. Kevin, uh, you've been in the Pelicans news quite a bit this week. Your articles have been stolen by one distinctathlete.com. Uh, if if distinctathlete.com is listening right now, what would you like to say to them? Uh, you stole the wrong articles. Those are ridiculous articles. Those are just some uh, hypothetical play with science and uh, – you know, see what happens. I don't know why you would take those. Well, I guess the they did just steal the Anthony Davis article I wrote, which, um, you know, I just wrote one about Anthony Davis being in the best position to get MVP uh, that he's been in his career. And right now I'm currently writing a follow-up to that that goes through and power ranks every teammate he's had since he's been in the NBA, um, which is a pretty daunting task. And I wish Direct Athlete would just write that and give it to me to put out there. But I'm going to do it. I mean, I guess I should be mad about it. People around me are mad about it, more mad about it than I am. I just thought it was kind of surprising and shocking and interesting that anybody would do that to begin with. All right, Jamal Dunn at JamDunn06. Of course, you can also follow Kevin at Kevin B for Bounce. Jamal, it's been a bit. What are you working on, my friend? What would you like our listeners to know about you? Well, one thing I was thinking about uh, was kind of what I brought up towards the end of the podcast with the Julius Randle, uh, Nikola Meritage situation. Now, you guys know me. You know that I'm ready to sign Nico to a lifetime contract. <laughs> but, um, you know, when you just look at it going forward, this year I think everybody should enjoy it. I think it will be a good fit, and it will help AD. And, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes after that. But I've been kind of wanting to – 
pontificate, I guess, on what the possibilities for that would be because Nico obviously is going towards the end of his contract. So, you know, you're probably not going to get any sort of wing help that is on a multi-year deal or anything like a middle 10. But there could be like a Jimmy Butler thing, right? Uh, We know that Thibodeau is is familiar with Jimmy Butler. um, And if he, or I'm, I'm sorry, familiar with Meritage. And, you know, that could be something he would be interested in because we know he's not going to – Tibbs is not just a give-me-a-draft-pick type of guy. So if he's going to stay in Minnesota any longer, I could see a deal like that happening. Uh, but I don't know. So that was kind of what I was thinking about doing. All right, Jamal. Uh, we look forward to reading that, hopefully, uh, in the not-so-distant future. Thank you guys again for listening. Of course, I'm Preston Ellis. You've been listening to The Bird Calls, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Let's go, pals. hope you've enjoyed listening to the bird calls on OTG and nothing but net here on Dash Radio. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Say Metro by T-Mobile got the best deal in wireless and it's all for you, all for me. Just switch quickly because Metro has two lines for 80 and two Samsung Galaxy J7 Star phones for free. Plus Amazon Prime included. That's the way wireless should be only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. $50 plus rate plan required. Not valid for numbers currently on T-Mobile Network or on Metro in past 90 days. Offer subject to change. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Amazon Prime has a $12.99 per month value. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions. Technology Truths. Brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis. How was the birthday party? Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball, pineapple truth it's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at geico.com what are you talking about paperclip shoulder shrug high five wizard hat what geico 15 minutes could save you 15 percent or more